0: time under tension. What is the level or the time under tension that you allow yourself to actually feel specific emotions? Because the more that you have the ability to feel it fully and to process it and become that witness, that's how you're going to develop long-term emotional fitness or emotional strength. So much of today's episode is going into emotional fitness, emotional training, and the parallels to physical training and physical fitness. For me, I'm continually realizing with greater depth and greater awareness that there is such a correlation and they both complement each other and we can utilize so much of what we learn in the physical room, physical training room, and apply that in the emotional realm and the emotional endeavors that we're seeking to increase our capacity, our inner strength. And so much of my newest program athleticism for life, the 30-day Bulgarian bag program, yes, it is a physical training program, but I built it entirely. That's why it's called Athleticism for Life to balance inner strength and outer strength or the working incapacities from a physical perspective. So how do we learn how to cultivate energy, build energy, experience that anabolic rebound, but also test ourselves, challenge ourselves, put ourselves in challenging position with a new training tool that's going to tax your grip? So that is what that program is all about. If you want to get Athleticism for Life, anybody who listens to The Path, you'll get 20% off. Just use code PATH20. When you go to my website, MikeSalemi.io, in the upper right corner, you'll be able to hit the drop down for Athleticism for Life and get 20% off. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the PATH podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. I am locked. I am loaded. I am dressed and ready, about to head on a flight to Boise, Idaho and head out to the headquarters of Supless Training Systems, the inventors, the makers, the creators of the Bulgarian bag and the entire Supless Training System. So I'm really excited for this trip because I'm going to move. I'm going to learn, I'll probably may coach a little bit on this trip. But that being said, as I'm heading out there, strength and conditioning, fitness, the Bulgarian bag, the adaptability, the movement capability, is such at the forefront of my mind. Plus, we just launched Athleticism for Life, which is the 30-Day Bulgarian Bag Program. So strength training and conditioning, while it's always very present in my life as a coach, it's just right at the forefront. Now, with that said, I've been thinking more and more about the parallels of strength and conditioning, or let's just say physical training and physical fitness, and then emotional training and emotional fitness. Now, I'm also coming off of yesterday, I had uh, the first kundalini yoga practice that I've had in quite some time. And so it was hard. It was really hard. My shoulders were dying and it was so uncomfortable and so challenged physically. And in that way, there was a lot also emotionally that opened up for me. So for today's chat and discussion before I head out on this trip, which as a side note, I just found out normally when I travel to Boise, it's really nice weather. It's a mountainous area, uh, but it's been really nice. And I just forgot to check the weather and it is so cold. At night, it's getting down to two degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I think one of the highs is 12 degrees at night and it's going to be below freezing most of the days. So uh, right after I hop off of recording this, I'm going to jet down and just pack my bag as much as possible with some of my warm my warm winter gear. So, I'm excited for that. And bringing it back to today's topic around the parallels and also what can we take from our physical training practices into how we perceive and how we experience emotional training and emotional fitness. And the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, if you've been if you've done any level of strength and conditioning in your life, then you understand The name of the game is time under tension. The way that we get stronger as people, yes, it's load, but it's the time under tension that we experience or that we spend under that load. And so, time under tension from a strength and conditioning perspective just simply refers to the duration that a muscle is under strain or stress during an exercise. And due to that stress, due to that strain, it promotes overall muscle growth and muscle strength for the long term. Now, there of course is more nuances to that, but a general rule or a general theme, time under tension is absolutely necessary if you want to grow in strength, if you want to grow in mobility, which could also be viewed as a different type of strength training. Now, when we look at emotional fitness, so many of us, and I'm also going to speak maybe a little bit more targeted towards men, but applies to everybody, so much of us, We don't enjoy feeling emotional tension, emotional discomfort, emotional pain. You know, that could be feelings of anxiety, maybe feelings of overwhelm, disappointment, frustration, depression, guilt, sadness, anger. You know, those are all just some of the And there's there's tons of emotions out there. If you just download, look up online, um, you know, emotional list or maybe like emotional, there's primary emotions, secondary emotions, tertiary emotions. If you've never looked at a list of emotions, it can be really helpful to help you get greater accuracy and practice what it is exactly that you're feeling moment to moment, which is also a skill that you can develop, which we can talk about later. But in the context of time under tension, There is a difference, and I may have shared this in prior podcasts, there is a difference between processing something that you're experiencing and dwelling in it. Now, while I will say in order for us to develop time under tension, we need to allow ourselves or it can be really beneficial to allow ourselves the permission and the space to fully feel the emotions that we're feeling. And not just negative, this also goes with positive because oftentimes we, we associate you know, not wanting to experience specific emotions as the negative, but there's plenty of people, myself included at times, that will not allow myself to experience pleasure. I, or there's a resistance to that or experiencing even joy, being fully with the moment, experiencing the joy of the present moment to its fullest. And that's also very characteristic or common in men. There it tends to be a difficulty in experiencing pleasure or play. And oftentimes it can show up that if and when men do allow themselves to experience the capacity of play in a given moment, it needs to come after Some amount of accomplishment or achievement or earning that place to have that that playful moment with the family or to go out and play ball with the homies, to enjoy that dessert. It's something that we quote unquote have to earn. And so even our relationship to pleasure, there's almost like conditions for that. So when it comes to once again, time under tension, I really feel that just like in the weightlifting room, that the more time under tension, both in a given workout and then over the duration of time, which we'll discuss later, is paramount if we want to grow in our athletic, in our strength, in our endurance, in our performance goals. And it's very similar when it comes to emotional fitness or emotional health. Because if there is, we haven't spent much time in getting familiar with what does anger feel in the body? Where do we feel it? What are the thoughts or the triggers that show up when we feel that anger arising? Do we even know what to do with it? Can we utilize that anger as actually a propelling, a a protective or a passionate force? Can we hone it? Can we direct it? But if we're so afraid of feeling it or just there's such this big aversion to feel it will never really develop one, the time under tension, but the relationship with it in order to how to use it in a healthy way. And so with all the emotions that we feel, this is an invitation to allow yourself to feel it more fully. Now, I touched on a bit earlier, the difference between processing and dwelling. Now, many of the men that I coach And again, even myself, the reason why I can identify this is because first and foremost, I can see and feel this in myself. And if I can't, oftentimes, uh, it's why I get stuck in a repetitive pattern. And so sometimes it's helpful to have someone else identify it or it takes some degree of pain or some high degree of pain for me to actually wake the F up. So the difference between processing an emotion and dwelling in an emotion is when you get stuck in the story... And when you go almost down this down spiral, and it can be really seductive, the inner critic shows up and then we shit talk ourselves and then we blame and project others. We keep going down. We almost get like lost in the sauce, right? I imagine you've experienced that in some way, shape or form in your life multiple times if you're a human being. Now, the difference between getting lost in the sauce or let's just say dwelling when a specific stressful situation comes up or we experience let's say a negative emotion between processing it processing it is how we can allow ourselves to feel it more fully and tune into potentially the subtleness of the sensations that we're feeling does it feel heavy does it feel dense does it feel expansive does it feel contracting does it have a specific color Is it focused more in one part of the body? Like for me particularly, I hold a lot of anger and frustration, for example, in my jaw. And it literally feels, or I might notice, I'm clenching my teeth. And I might notice almost like my jaw getting fatigued, like the the muscles right on the outside of the jaw. I'm just like, man, I'm just so angry. And sometimes what gets me aware of it is actually just simply the tension in the jaw. So I might notice the sensation first and then actually be, wow, what am I actually feeling in this moment? Why am I clenching my teeth? Why am I grinding my teeth? If you go to a dentist and they say, you grind your teeth a lot. What I would imagine is there's increased tension in the jaw. And of course it could be a structural issue, but then once again, what's driving it? Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it something unprocessed? something that you're avoiding or an argument or some way you are not showing up in your intimate relationship and it's just off-gassing in the jaw. But when we are, again, processing something, we're being an investigator and there's almost like this degree of detachment. It's when we merge with the emotion fully, when we can't separate a level of either objectivity or becoming a witness, when we fully merged, and that's going to happen in the human experience, it's very hard to actually get perspective and once again, not get lost in the sauce. And so the breath can be a very helpful tool, but just simply having the awareness of what is the emotion, where are we feeling it in the body? What are the sensations connected to it? Can we identify any trigger? Is there a memory associated with it? And then probably most importantly, can we allow ourselves to feel it fully but not necessarily merge with it and that there's a difference there's a difference there okay so time under tension what is the level or the time under tension that you allow yourself to actually feel specific emotions because the more that you have the ability to feel it fully and to process it and become that witness, that's how you're going to develop long-term emotional fitness or emotional strength. Again, not too dissimilar from the gym. If you never train or never develop a relationship with healthy weights, then you'll really, really never know what it feels like to have 300 pounds on the bar. And so when you get there in the future... You're probably going to develop either compensation strategies or those are going to show up. You'll always find the path of least resistance. The body will always go towards that path of least resistance. So until you've developed a new groove and a new relationship with it, which in my opinion, there's no other way to do it than putting time under tension and then looking at how you interact with that weight on the bar and also uh, with the emotions... It's going to be very hard to move forward. So, time under tension, absolutely critical. Huge parallel between physical fitness or physical training and emotional. Now, the other thing that I will say is skill transfer. You know, if you're listening to this podcast or you've gotten any of my programs, you follow me on social media, you know that one of the things that I love sharing, probably more than anything, is developing movement skill. Developing, of course, movement capacity. Those are probably the two most things that I get excited about. Teaching people how to build capacity physically, and there's a direct correlation to emotionally, and then skill transfer. So for example, that's why I love the Bulgarian bag and why I keep going back out to the headquarters to learn, to train, to be immersed, to learn the different skills of how can I move with greater ease and control and transition and level change. So to move from a standing position, for example, let's just say on the Bulgarian bag snatch or the kettlebell snatch, and then quickly drop into a swing squat and then quickly maybe locomote, do a walking spin. So the ability to develop these fundamentals skills and not only transfer them within the practice and from movement to movement, but how can we utilize those skills that we learn in the gym and also see them transfer outside of the gym. And when we come to emotional fitness uh, or emotional training, let's just say, you know, there's so many things that we can begin to uh, practice. Like for example, gratitude. Gratitude is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful and healing forces that we have access to in life. And the more and more that I do my best to, one, recognize what I am grateful for, the things that I already do have in life, the people that I already do have in life, uh, especially those relationships that really nourish me and express gratitude for them man, my level of just joy, fulfillment, I don't mean content from a place of stagnation, like content and I'm happy with the status quo, but just like, just accepting all of the beautiful gifts that I have in my life and the people that I have in my life, that practice of gratitude and fully being with it like Yeah, it can be powerful to write what you're grateful for every morning, but if it's just a monotonous practice that you don't actually embody or you don't actually uh, breathe into, that you don't actually, when you walk out of the door, you carry that gratitude in your body and it becomes a part of your nervous system, then just writing it down might be beneficial. But to go multiple steps further, we have to, or it can be really beneficial to embody what that feeling of gratitude is. So when you see someone on the street and you smile at them, you're smiling at them with your whole body, with your whole heart. And that practice of gratitude, of going into gratitude fully, what are you really thankful for? What are the things that you already have that you're grateful for? Maybe it's just simply the ability to have a stable roof over your head. Or just to purchase the type of food that you want to eat. Or that you have one person in your life, and sometimes it only takes one, that you can genuinely talk to. You know, In the last podcast, I talked about the dream team and identifying those detractors and expanders in your life and how to identify people with core values. And to really, it's so important to develop and hone in on the people you want in your life because as I shared in that episode... You not only are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with, but you're actually the sum of the five nervous systems you spend the most time with. So really tuning into your body and the people that you surround yourself and who you're really grateful for. Is it having an intimate partner? not to say there's not going to be challenges that arise. Uh, I mean, that's just a given in any relationship. Maybe it's for the ability to have kids or to have a son, to have a daughter, uh, to have one of your parents alive, whether they were good parents or not, the ability to have someone. I mean, that is so beautiful. And when you take the practice of feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude, verbally or non-verbally, maybe it's just smiling at someone, expressing gratitude for the things that you have you can take that into all aspects of your life. Just like the skill transfer of how to develop the agility or the ability to level change with the Bulgarian bag may transfer in your ability on the baseball field or on the softball field to quickly level change from the standing position. And then someone hits you a ground ball, boom, you drop to the floor, you know, drop to the floor, but you, you lean over, you hinge over, you grab the ball and then you throw for that double play. Just how that can have a transfer into your preferred skill sport, activity, whatever it is you like doing. The practice of gratitude as just one example of one of the things that we can hone can have a transfer into all relationships. Of course, how you experience life, but then how everyone else experiences life and their experience of you as well. The other thing in terms of, uh, you know, skill transfer there's so many of us, you know, I think, I don't even remember what the, the stat is exactly. And I don't even know how honestly one would measure this specifically, but, um, you know, I've heard Paul say this, I've heard other people and I'm going to probably going to misquote the exact stat, but it's something like most people think, I think it's like 80 to 90% negative thoughts a day. 80, like it's a vast majority. It's, it's got to be at least 80, but again, I have no idea how that's being measured, but just the concept of it feels really true. Like I'll notice myself getting into these negative thought patterns. And if we even just break down the word pattern right now, pattern is something repetitive. It's a loop. It's a cycle. And so oftentimes these negative patterns are these loops and cycles that keep, keep, keep repeating. And until we either have a pattern break or we can understand and really excavate what, well, one, what part of us is benefiting from that pattern. That's a very deep question to really meditate on and feel into, uh, but then also not only what part of us benefits from that pattern, but what's stopping us or what's blocking us from ending it, if it's not serving us. And if you can start developing a relationship with it and start uncovering and, you know, maybe getting help when you need to, you can start, you can take a very similar approach with how you've maybe dismantled or understood or, un, or or moved through the body, I want to talk about that quite a bit. You've moved through the body a pattern, and you've really processed it healthfully and thoroughly. You can take that into other patterns that you have in life. So what are the other limiting beliefs? What are the other assumptions? What are the other uh, words that your inner critic says? What are all of these types of energy blocks? How do they show up? And then how do you relate with them? And how do you begin developing that skill to uncover that and bring healing to that, remedy to that? And how can you transfer that into the other patterns that you have in life? And also getting deeper to the root cause. So if, for example, you notice yourself controlling contracting or collapsing every single time your intimate partner uh, criticizes you or you experience criticism or their lack of satisfaction with you. Okay, you get triggered. Okay, you, you notice yourself collapse. You notice yourself withdraw. You notice yourself go into some type of pattern that is not the way that you want to show up. Okay, well, one, what's blocking you? But then two, like, what's the root of that? is there some underlying belief structure or belief system that is driving the reason why you experience it as criticism or the reason why you collapse? I think it was two podcasts ago, I did an entire episode on perfectionism and the Enneagram type one, which is my core type of the Enneagram and and, Not surprisingly, many of the men that I do coach, a lot of them either have elevated type ones, which is the archetype of the improver, the perfectionist, the moralist, or they just have what's called elevated type ones as related to their Enneagram assessments that I run and the underlying thought or the the core motivation that was learned very young in childhood and how the infant learned to navigate the world and experience the world and achieve safety in the world and get his or her needs met whether that's validation approval love connection a lot of what is driving that for the enneagram type 1 is this belief that i'm imperfect and the world is imperfect this uh that I am bad and that the world is bad. And so the way that I or anybody with this core type or an elevated type one navigates and moves through life is going to move with that unconscious pattern. Again, especially if they're not aware with it, they'll navigate life and all the interactions or the majority of the interactions or how you create, how you work, how you manage yourself will all be to disprove that. And I don't want to go too much into this specifically because I did a whole podcast on it. But for example, if I feel, I use this example in that podcast, that my professional creations, the way I produce programs is never enough then I is not good enough time and time again, then I'm going to keep reshooting, then I'm going to keep studying more and more, then I'm going to keep putting out better content, which is beautiful. However, if it's all coming from the energy of lack, that it's not good enough, then it's just going to repeat that cycle. But if it comes from a place of love and just a genuine care to share wisdom with the world, they may be two similar products at the end of the day. Both are have this high level of standard, very high quality, but they were both created from different energies. So bringing this all back to having an understanding of what are our triggers, uh, how do we notice ourselves collapse, and then what's the underlying root that's driving that. If we have that underlying root, if we can understand the main belief structure that is driving so many of our behaviors and thoughts on a given day, then we can transfer that to the energy blocks or the triggers that happen after that. And it is a process. I will say, this is life's work. This is like, I don't know anybody who's uh, one and done with any of this stuff, which is why that component of skill transfer and time time under tension is so important because it's only through practice and time under tension and this transferring of skills and being in it that we can actually move to maybe um, a place of closer to how we want to experience life, or maybe it's just uh, accepting what is. Teaching our body that we're safe and that we're like, even though shit may be hitting the fan or there's chaos or we're overwhelmed, like that we're okay, that we're safe and that's okay because we're having this human experience doing the best we can. And so part of it might just be accepting um, that this is a belief that's, that's driven so much of how you've experienced life, both positively and negatively. So bringing acceptance can be absolutely you know, very, very helpful. Now, when it comes to, once again, physical training and emotional training, I mean, probably the first place that I really learned how to effectively or productively, let's say, set goals was in the gym. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I loved strength and conditioning. And maybe part of the reason why you love going to the gym because the the strength and conditioning room can be an incredible training ground where we can learn to set goals, to see objective measurements of progress. As a young man, I remember I was 15 right now. I have this vision of me walking down the halls of my high school in San Mateo, California. And I was definitely, uh, I mean, I was definitely, I I had a good group of friends. It was all guys school, but I was definitely in many regards an outcast. And if any of my friends from high school are listening to this, I know there's a few who, who follow my work. Uh, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I was training. I was competing. I was definitely an oddball in many regards. And just my level of just fierce, fierce discipline and commitment. Um, and I remember walking through and, and I think a buddy of mine had asked something like, dude, why? Like there was some party going on or, or something like that. I was like, no, nah, man, I can't make it. Like... Yeah, I'll catch the next one. He's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, it's our squad day. We got a competition coming up. He's like, dude, why don't you just come? Like, why the fuck do you care so much about this stuff? And I don't even remember what my answer was, but I remember in that moment recognizing that one of the things that I loved about the gym was I was able to start building self-esteem, seeing progress, seeing that the more time under tension and the more that I put myself in uncomfortable situations that tested myself, the more that I was around older men, the more that I was committing to my own growth, I could see five pounds on the bench press go up, or 10 pounds on the squat, or 15 pounds on the deadlift. And also I could see and have a training around, a safe training place where if and when failure showed up, whether it was through a missed lift or through bombing out in a competition, which essentially means, especially in specifically in powerlifting, you know, you've got three attempts on uh, the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. And if you, you know, miss all three, let's say on the first lift of the day, then you can't compete the rest of the day. So you bombed out of the first lift, uh, which would be the squat. And then if you could do that, then you, you don't even get a chance to bench press and deadlift. And so that happened too. And so, I mean, that sucks. You train for three months, you train for six months, you hop on a platform, you've got your coaches, you maybe got your family, you got a plan set out, you hop on. And then for whatever the reason, maybe the emotional stress of the event was too high, or maybe you just strategically set your opening lift too high. Maybe you try to be a little too ambitious, or whatever it was. Uh, the you know uh, maybe it was uh, he was the first. Maybe you'd been training in what's called a monolift, where you just have to lift two inches up and then go into a squat. And now you're in another environment where they're actually having you walk out with the weight out of the stands. Totally different. You're still squatting, but how you get into that setup position in that squat is very different. So I bring all that stuff up just to give a visual of the objective measurements of progress and how you can learn goal setting through the weight room. Now, the same thing in the emotional realm, and this is something that I think I've become more um, of a proponent of, especially in coaching sessions with clients and with men. And as we're uncovering more of the root causes of, of what's limiting them back or what's holding them back from the life they want to live or the way they want to show up as a father, the way they want to show up as a husband, the way they want to show up as a leader in their work, as we you know, explore a little bit of the past to get clarity in terms of what they want to create right now and what's holding them back. And we look at, you know, in a coaching session, it can be so helpful to have specific benchmarks specific anchor points to see how we are experiencing and also how we are, quote unquote, progressing in relation to a specific event, a specific trigger, or a specific um, yeah, emotion. So that might show up, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, but that might show up as you know, you're super angry about something, uh, you know, someone uh, betrayed you at work or went behind your back and you're rightfully very angry about that. Okay. In this moment, when you think of that event or when you're in it, when you're in it, what's the level of anger or betrayal, for example, that you feel? Okay. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being, oh my gosh, I want to rip this motherfucker's head off. One being, man, I don't notice this at all in this moment. Okay. Maybe it's a seven. All right. As we progress through the session or as you progress through the weeks and we start exploring some tools, maybe it's breathing. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's going for a walk outside. Maybe it's just nasal breathing so that you can downregulate yourself quicker, easier in the moment. And then the next time this comes up or at the end of the session, checking back in. Okay, when you feel into thinking about this event or this person, what are you feeling now? Scale of one to 10. Okay, is it increased? Is it a nine now? You're feeling it more fully or something else came up? Or is it now a five? Or is it more a three? Or now you don't even feel it anywhere. You did a centering breathwork practice that dropped you into your body, out of your head, down-regulated your nervous system. And now you don't feel that emotional charge. So it can be so helpful to have benchmarks. And that's just one example that you can use right now with yourself um, that you can use again, just like what we do in the gym. Okay, how does your training progressing from session to session within the session, or from week to week, or from month to month? You know, we call planning when we when we plan it out. We call that periodization. You're looking at at a schedule, and I'm not saying you like schedule out. Maybe you. I mean, of course, you can schedule out your emotional practices and scheduling a plan for you know creating a daily practice for journaling. And then maybe that's the periodization plan or journaling or breath work. And then within that, you know, you check in with yourself at the beginning of the session. How are you feeling? Scale of one to 10, frustrated, sad, depressed, boom. Okay. At the end of the session, how are you feeling? It's a very simple way to create some type of subjective and objective-ish measurement to gauge progress from moment to moment. And then over time, and then how you really know you fully integrated something or fully um, maybe you could say healed something is like when it comes up, you know, it doesn't bring back at all that charge. It's like, or you oftentimes forget about it entirely. Like I remember, um, and I'll use another example from the physical training room, because that's, that's all what this is about physical and emotion. What are the parallels? How can we draw on and why is it so necessary to have emotional honing practices that like I shared in the very beginning with that Kundalini yoga practice I did yesterday. they are physical practices, physical practices, and so much emotionality came in and came through it with the posture, with the breath, with the positioning. So in real time, through the physical body, which can be such a helpful place, a practical place, a place that there's no, I mean in that practice, I mean there was no um, there was no question that I was struggling physically and emotionally and wanted to get out of the posture and out of the position and wanted it to end and things were uncomfortable. And before I move on, this is one of the best, uh, I don't know, insights that I got from one of my teachers who was also a guest on the PATH podcast, Ted Ryder. And he says in every practice, okay, you could do this physical, emotional, whatever you want to think about it. You have the practice itself. So you have the posture, the position itself. So let's say I'm doing a breathwork practice and I'm holding my arms up for 20 minutes straight. Killer. That's the physical practice and there's a specific breath coordinated with it. That's the practice itself. What's the posture? What's the position? What's the breath, right? The mechanics of it, let's say. You have the relationship to that practice. So when you're in it, What's coming up for you? And then where do you see that also show up in other areas of your life? Where else when things get hard, when things burn, when things get uncomfortable, do you just want to run the opposite direction? Do you uh, collapse? Do you contract? Do you constrict? Do you close down your heart? Do you get reactive? Do you get defensive? So you have the practice itself and then you have your relationship to the practice. And so bringing it back to goal setting and progression that we can learn in the gym and also use something similar with the emotional realms, like having a structured practice that you can go to and have objective measurements of progress and that number scale or scaling type questions, scale of one to five, scale of one to 10, scale of one to 20, where are you at now? Where are you at the end? Those can be very helpful ways in terms of measuring progress and utilizing some semblance of goal setting in your practice. And and I've said this so many times and now I'm realizing more than ever, maybe I knew this early on and and I think I did, but now Working with so many men and also just being more reflective into my own life, I'm like, I guess I'm understanding with more depth, with more depth, or maybe with more of like a holistic lens, just how having physical practices that you commit to, not only can you find something correlated in the emotional realm, but how physical practices in and of themselves can open the doors emotionally for us. And practices like kundalini yoga could be an amazing practice to explore that, or like breath work, things like that, where you can use, um, it depends what type of breath work and, and that sort of stuff, but you know it can really, um, there's an absolute carryover an absolute transfer there. Now, next, when we look at, you know, when I look at uh, when I was competing in kettlebell sport and in powerlifting and, and Definitely reached a respectable level in terms of uh, competing and in competitions, all that stuff. But when I look at even just the numerical numbers, I was able to squat, bench, and deadlift. So in the gym, my best lifts were six fifteen. No, I'm sorry, six oh five on the squat, six fifteen on the deadlift, and then about four seventy. I always forget if it was four seventy or four seventy three. I don't remember in that in that one if it was kilos or uh, or pounds, but it was like four seventy ish. Let's say four seventy on the bench press. So respectable numbers. When I look at what it took to get there, it was not... One of the best also advice I ever got from my lifting coach, Steve Yugi, at the time was... Man, strength training, even though it's strength training uh, or power training in some regards, depending on if you're doing Olympic weightlifting, this is a marathon. This ain't a sprint. So drilling in, it is a long game. Of course, there can be, you know, massive gains in short amounts of time, depending on what level you're at. Like for example, if I were to take a novice lifter or a very youthful lifter, like if you gave me a high school athlete, you know, I don't even know, I could give him a 200% increase on his squat in a matter of a month, 2 months. I don't even like it could be hundreds of percents depending on what his background is, where he's at, you know, his nervous system is very fresh. Uh but the more advanced that you get or the higher level that you you compete in that you train, it's like you'll never get that types of of gains. Like if you're if you're getting 1%, 2% every few months or a year, like especially when you're at the highest level, like that's that's a massive jump. So But all that to say is just the the theme of it being a marathon, the theme of it being a long game, very similar in the emotional training realms. Like, yeah, you can absolutely have quantum leaps, have breakthroughs. You do things like a breathwork session, or you have a a well-guided plant medicine experience. Like you can have these massive breakthroughs, but anyone, anyone, and even in those realms will tell you the work happens with how you incorporate it, how you integrate it into your life, the rituals that you, which if you think about in the training realm, we say routines. You have a strength training routine or a strength training scheme or a strength training program. Well, the same thing I would say is in the emotional realm. Like if you have a ritual, which is a routine with intention added to it, it's the ritual, it's the you're building a new pattern. It's the new pattern that you are ingraining. And it's going to take time. It's going to be a long-term process, which is why like even in my men's program, The Path to Inspired Action, the reason why I created that program was I realized that not to say that a retreat Two, two, three, four days, five days isn't can't won't be incredibly impactful. And there's something that you just simply can't get when you've got another man in front of you, and you're just warrioring up. You're looking at him eye to eye, and you're both sharpening each other, uh, whether it's through a breathwork practice, or giving sharp feedback, or just loving uh, reflections. When you're in the cold, when you're in a lake, and you're all breathing together, you're chanting together. Like you can't. You can't substitute that. Like, there's no substitute for that. However, the recognition that just like it takes, you know, we have, I mentioned earlier, the negative patterns, these loops, these cycles that are so ingrained from year and year and year. If we also haven't done the flip side of embodying and Training our nervous system in a way through repetition, through time under tension, through goal setting and through progression and through practice over time, it's going to be very, very, very hard for even that peak experience or even that big Quantum leap experience to really be integrated in the long term. So, when we're looking at emotional training, it's a long term game. Like, we need to also, I think, if I recall in the strength training realm, and I've forgotten a lot of this stuff to be honest, but it takes something like 300 repetitions more or less to ingrain a new motor pattern or a new movement pattern correctly. But it can take something like 3,000 repetitions. So multiple times that to untrain a faulty movement pattern. So sit with that for a moment. When you're learning correctly and you've got like, you give me that novice weightlifter, that novice athlete, and he's an unmolded block of clay. You put him in front of me. I do an assessment on him, get some get some readings on where he's at and what his limitations are. And I put him through some tests. Okay, then I got a really good starting place. Once I do that, whew, all know exactly more or less what to choose, how to program it, sets, reps, loads, tempos, rest periods, periodization, and you'll just see this kid take off. Take off, right? And when we look at that in the the emotional realm in terms of the long-term plan of it, lasting change is going to take long-term commitment and is going to take that same approach, that same repetitive new pattern of how you want to show up in the world to embody it fully with body, heart, mind, how you interact with the world. And you're going to need repetitions of that pattern. So again, I'm jumping around a little bit, but 300 reps, I'll train that kid well. But if there's a faulty movement pattern, let's say his knees cave in over and over and over on the squat and he hasn't been able to fix it, you know, I might be able to do some activation stuff, but depending how, not only how long it's been, the imbalances in the body, how it's affected things up chain and down chain. So, what's it done to change the movement of his ankles, of his foot, of his hip? Probably going to have a lot to rework, much more than even just cueing him, hey, push your knees out or line your knee up with your second toe. Probably going to have to do thousands of repetitions potentially to correct that. So again, looking at it from the programming perspective on the emotional stuff, we got to look at these things in a long-term perspective. And if you've had this same pattern over and over and over, likely you're highly facilitated in it and the deeper it goes, especially if you've tried to address it or bring healing to it or seek out coaches or whatever, recognize it's going to take time might take thousands of repetitions. And that's why, again, the Path to Inspired Action was a multi-month program is because I recognized that I can't, it's a lot to ask of anybody in a four days to really get massive change. Not that it can't happen, but again, the name of the game is how do we integrate this or incorporate this in our life for the long term? And that's why I wanted a longer container so more of life could happen with the men. And then we can help ourselves in real time and approach things from different dimensions or different angles or different perspectives. Like all of that makes makes a difference. So looking at emotional training and emotional fitness and your emotional practice as a long, long, long-term game. And this is also why I think that there's, you know, Why I think there's a huge place for things like um, whether it's yoga or any type of flexibility practice, like physical flexibility. Because, I mean, this is the truth. Like, the more physically flexible I have, the less bunched up, like the more tension I hold in my shoulders or you hold in your shoulders, the more your shoulders ride up. More your shoulders ride up, especially if you're working at a computer all day and you round your back and you round your spine, like you just can't. Like, you just can't tell me that's not gonna have a carryover emotionally. Like, when you experience someone, next time you experience someone with an open chest, shoulders wide, shoulders down, head tall, notice how you feel in that person's presence. Versus someone who's really hunched over and really rounded and maybe their head droops forward and down. Just notice the subtleties on how that person is received and also notice within yourself when you're carrying yourself on a day-to-day basis. When you lift your chest when your shoulders are stacked over your hips and you feel rooted and grounded into the floor, and your chest is proud and your head is up, and you make eye contact with the person that you're talking to, and you hold that eye contact and you maintain that, notice how you feel differently from when, if you catch yourself slumping and your head slightly down, and you don't, you want to look away when you're talking to someone. Like just notice the subtleties of how that feels. So this is why I believe. As well, that again, taking the the transfer of what you can learn in the physical realm, like the more physically flexible you are, the more open that your hips are, the less physical restriction, the more you will have access to greater ranges of motion. And like again, even with mobility. With mobility, the more strength you have across ranges of motion and through different angles, the more not only you will have access to them, but that you will create safety and move with control and grace and ease in those positions or in those movements. In the emotional realm, the more flexibility you have, the more quote unquote time under tension through the range of these emotions that you have, the greater you're going to be able to move through them with greater ease and grace and acceptance and compassion that's what we're training we're training yes accountability to be better men or better women in life but also the 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 flip side of that is and I've shared this also in the past because I feel it's so so important how can we hold ourselves accountable not let ourselves off the hook but how can we also maintain a level of compassion as well because oftentimes with accountability comes a very harsh inner critic for myself and for many people. And while the inner critic can sometimes be a necessary force and a productive force and move us forward, we have to understand that when we're getting lost in the sauce in that regard, when it's actually helping us, when it's not helping us, like there's more nuance to it. Otherwise, we just have a drill sergeant and a metaphorical father who's just beaten us down. And we don't have you know the opposite end of the spectrum of like, you know, the recognition of how we're doing good and the acknowledgement, the acceptance, the celebration, like the celebration of how hard you are working and what you are putting in. You know, that's I learned that so much in the gym and now I have to remind myself and bring it back to, wow, there is way more parallels to what was learned in the weight room than I ever thought. And a very similar-ish type structure with a little bit of different um, maybe vocabulary can be applied to the emotional realms as well. So that is really, it's been at the forefront of my mind uh, again, and me heading out to soupless just in a few minutes, I'm going to have to, we're going to close this podcast right now because I'm going to have to go bundle up. I mentioned earlier, I just found out it's like two degrees at night out there and I was just going to take some like training shorts and uh, and some t-shirts. So I got to go bundle up. I got to go get my boots on. and uh, And then I'm also feeling really good after yesterday's kundalini yoga practice and just like in awe at how physically challenging it was and how much, how many emotions came up. And again, how the physical training realm oftentimes is the easiest place. And for so many of us Westerners is the best place to start. And maybe not, I mean, not, not even for Westerners. I mean, when you look at uh, monks or like uh, Shaolin monks, when you look at monks, they have a massive physical practice as well. Like there's a reason for that. They've been training for thousands of years. I've only been alive for 37 years. So uh, I'm quite of an infant in that regard. But these practices and, and these ways of training, the physical body, the mental body, the spiritual body, the emotional body, physical, all of these things, when you look at those monks, like they are well-trained physically, and it's for a specific reason. Because the more adaptable, the more resilient, the more flexible, the stronger we are physically, we can take those developmental themes and apply them to the emotional realm. And there is a transfer uh, as well. So if you feel weak physically, and you or you are weak physically, like you don't have, you're in uh, knee pain, for example, and you don't feel adaptable if something were to happen, there's going to be an emotional carryover. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, I'm fired up today. I'm wishing you a great and beautiful rest of your day. If you, uh, speaking of soupless, if you do want to explore the Bulgarian bag or you don't even have a Bulgarian bag yet just use code TEAMSALEMI10. I'll put a link in the show note. You can get 10% if you're in the US off of your Bulgarian bag. They are all handmade in Bulgaria. They're beautiful. It's literally an art piece. And in order to do my Bulgarian bag program, you need a Bulgarian bag. So that's actually step one. So if you want to train with me, learn breathwork, work, learn uh, myofascial stretching, LDOAs, you want uh, all the things that I do. The Bulgarian bag is only about 50% of that program because it's about building athleticism for life. And now with the context of today, Today's show. I really hope that whether it's my program on the Bulgarian bag, the kettlebell, or any program that you're already on, please take some of these concepts and apply them to your life. Just like you're diligent with maybe your three-time-a-week CrossFit workout or your three-time-a-week or four-time-a-week Orange Theory workout or whatever you're doing, have a practice of three-time-a-week breath work. Recognize that balancing working out with working in is an absolutely essential component to building the the longevity for life or the athleticism for life component in the physical and in the emotional. I wish you a beautiful, beautiful day. Take it easy. I'll catch you guys next time. Ciao. Much love. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.